You are listening to a message from Shorebreak Church's Gatherings by Travis Scott. You can get connected with more content at shorebreakchurch.com. Well, hey, what up? I want to welcome you to Shorebreak. Uh, my name's Travis, and I'm a pastor here at the church, and I'm stoked to be in God's Word with you guys tonight. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be in John chapter 6 tonight, and while you're turning there, um, today is one of those like interesting days, um, uh, partly because um, it's actually my birthday today, and I don't say that for like attention. No, 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 no. That is exactly my point. That is exactly my point. It is um, one thing that I, I, I hate about my birthday is that people get all sappy on birthdays. You know what I'm talking about? It's like... Oh my gosh, happy birthday. May God bless this next year more abundantly. And I'm like, I'm all for that, but I don't like the sappiness. You with me? It's like, all right, cut through the sappiness. It's just another day. That's how I feel. And I'm not saying that about your birthday. I will celebrate your birthday. I will chill with you, but not on my day. No, no party, no nothing. So that's one thing that I, I don't like about today. Um, I do like that we're here studying God's word tonight, of course. Another thing that I don't like about today is that it's windy. Like, what is the deal with the stinking wind? There's never wind on Kona's side. What's, what's going on here? And it's like, well, there's wind over here, and, and I hate the wind. I mean, it blows stuff everywhere. It messes up your hair. And for me, it doesn't matter because my hair is messed up already. But either way, it's just the wind is annoying. It's, it can stay out 100 miles offshore so it can blow some waves to us. Totally down for that. But when it, it gets here, I hate the wind. So today's like a double negative. It's like birthday plus wind equals God's sovereignty through his power is like, today is going to be not the day that you look forward to. I'm like, dang it, what's the deal? Now, ironically, I'm actually going somewhere with this, I promise. That is what is happening here in John chapter 6. There should be a celebration. There should be a party. And as the disciples, you think, man, 20,000 people just got fed. There's going to be some dancing. There's going to be some partying going on here. But instead of partying, they're like, nope, no party. We don't, we don't like celebrating this day. And Jesus says, hey, disciples, go hop in a boat. You're going to cross the sea. And wind is just going to ruin everything. Wind is just going to be on top of it and ruin everything. So I had you turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be picking it up in verse 16. And if you're taking notes, we are calling our message, message tonight, Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Verse 16 and John 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Part, they're crashing a party already. You can see this happening. Got in a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, all right. You know, sea, dark wind is already getting bad. You can see this already getting worse and worse. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough. Because a strong wind was blowing. See, there it is. The stupid wind ruining everything. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him in the boat. Bet they were. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Another miracle there. Jesus hops on the boat. They like teleport seven miles back to where they're going. Pretty crazy there. But John's like, all right, moving along. That's not important here. Verse 22, on the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea. They saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. For the other boats came from Tiberias and came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Of course, speaking of the miracle, we talked about last week, the feeding of the 5,000 men. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, that we get to open your word and hear from you. And and who are we to be able to open up the scriptures and to approach your word as though 
it, it, it evolves around us. And even reading this story and, and studying for it and praying it through, I sometimes so focus my life on myself and I keep my thoughts and my actions. And even as I read the Bible, like, well, how is this affecting me? What does this have to do with me? But as we get to see that it's not about us, it's not about me, it's just you, Jesus. And I pray that we would see you more clearly, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, so that we would realize that whatever we are going through, that you are all that we need. We don't need to turn to friends, we don't need to turn to relationships or uh, people that we know or stuff that this world has to offer. All we need is you. And I pray that that truth would become real and evident through this message that you've given to us tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is kind of crazy what's going on here, you have to admit. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Catch Me If You Can. Um, it's, it's a great movie, and it's, of course, starring uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, so, wow. Leonardo DiCaprio, same, kind of same thing, Yeah. And, um, and Tom Hanks, and of course, um, you know, Leonardo's like playing this role where he's this con artist. He's, he, he like racks up this trail of $2.8 million of being a fake pilot, a fake doctor, and the list goes on and on and on. And, and Tom Hanks playing this uh, FBI role is in pursuit after him for the movie. And it's Catch Me If You Can. It's a, it's a great movie based off a real story. And of course, as things escalate, as this guy is just causing more havoc everywhere he goes, the pursuit gets hotter. And that's almost what's going on here, except Jesus isn't a con artist. He is a miracle working. The, the, he turns five loaves and two fish to feed 20,000 people. I mean, people are like, man, this guy is an artist, nonetheless. I mean, he almost has editing rights over creation. Who can do these things? This guy's a prophet from God. I mean, he is amazing. And people are like playing catch me if you can. I mean, they're taking boats. They're doing whatever they can to get to Jesus. And on the outside, it looks pretty good, right? It does. It's like, wow. I mean, everyone just wants to be around Jesus. This is, this is pretty cool. I mean, reading this here, I mean, Jesus should be flattered here of how people, of how excited people are to see him. Now, though it's like this movie, you know, catch me if you can even as I was reading through this, what is the tie? Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, we'll talk about that more in a little bit, but what is the tie of Jesus taking five loaves and two fish and the storm? Is John having like a writer's block moment and just to get past his, maybe this, the, the ADD crowd that we maybe are at times, he's like, well, let me just throw in this random exciting story illustration so that I can keep your attention and we'll keep moving on. I don't think so. I think the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just about fishes and loaves, but it was about adoring Jesus through worship. If you remember, as we talked about last week, there's this boy who approaches Jesus. To, well, he first approaches Andrew, the disciple. is like a little grom, poor guy, because he has five loaves and two fish. And with his fish and chips, he's like, hey, Jesus, like, you, you can eat my meal. I, I, I'm hungry and I'm poor, but I would rather see you eat than for me to have my lunch. And a little boy does that. And there would have been other people there. Now, not everyone ate because clearly most of these people were hungry, but maybe this boy's parents had food. Maybe some of their family, they, you know, they're like, hey, we're going to pack. We're going to be smart. We're going to bring some food. But this little boy, it's, 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 not just about a, it's not just about fishes and loaves. It's about worship. And I think the correlation here, the tie that we're going to see as we unpack this, unfold this, is that whether it's hunger that take you out or a storm that takes you out on the sea, Jesus wants to display his majesty to you so you would see his glory and that you would respond to him in worship. You can see the correlation there. It's, it's not just fishes and loaves. It's not just the storm of the sea, but that all your needs can be met with just Jesus and you worshiping him. And maybe you don't see that, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister that to you. So here is the storm. I mean, and at least the feeding of the 20,000 people, right? The disciples had a problem on their hands. There could have been this angry 
what happens when people are angry? I mean, when, when they're hungry. I mean, for me, I get angry. <laughs> I become unglued. You know, when I'm fasting, it's a, it's a nasty day. You can just ask my wife. It's like, you should just stop fasting because this isn't going so well. And it's because without food, sometimes we snap. And so they could have had a problem on their hands, but at least the disciples had Jesus, right? They had Jesus with, you know, the 20,000 people there with this problem. But now, on this tempest sea, they're three, four miles out, John tells us, because he was there. That's how he knows. He was an eyewitness. He was on that boat. Like, they're pretty far from Jesus at this point. He's three miles back on shore, and now they're in the problem. Before, hey, we had Jesus with the 20,000, you know, possibly angry, hungry people. Now, we're, we're, he, we can't even see the shore. And if you know where they're going, in, in this sea, they're, they're crossing 12 miles. They've made it, a, you know, a quarter of the way there. They're not even there yet, and they're hopeless. They're paddling. They're out there, and it's like, but there's more to this story, right? I mean, he just gives us like the Reader's Digest version. What's going on here? I mean, you read, it's like, that's it, John? That's all you got? Can't you build this up more? I mean, you got a plot here. You got our attention. Couldn't you make this like a more epic thing going on? It's like, boom, whoa. Like, why does he do that? See, unlike the other gospels, John doesn't include specific aspects of the storm. You guys notice that? I think it's that way by design. I think John did that on purpose. See, the waves are breaking and they were crashing on top of the boat. Did the waves stop? They stopped. And the wind that was pushing them, did it halt at the voice of Jesus? It did. But John chooses not to talk about that. He doesn't go there. Now, we have to ask, why? There's some incredible details there. Like, you're missing the punchline, bro. Like, what's going on here? Why is he choosing to not talk about that? I think verse 19, look down with me, and verse 20, kind of open this up. When they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were not frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. John passes over this storm to exploit this truth. That in spite of the storm, Jesus is enough. Does it matter if there's a storm or not? Did the waves continue to break? Yes, they did. Did the wind continuously, relentlessly drift them closer to death by the minute as they were exhausted, just trying to row to the other side of the sea? Sure it did. But it didn't matter of the storm. What mattered was that they had Jesus. Listen, it doesn't matter if the storm stops in your life. What matters is you have Jesus while you're in the storm, okay? I mean, that is, I believe, why John is like taking a step back, editing out the parts that really don't matter. It's like, sure, there was a gnarly storm. That storm could take you out. But as long as it is I is with you, it is I, Jesus comes up and says, don't be afraid while you're in this storm. I am here. The storm is over anyways. It could care less if the waves are breaking on the boat. As long as Jesus is on the boat, that is all we need. If it is I is with us, that is all we need. And we've said it before and I'll say it again. If all you get in life is Jesus, you get all of life. It's just Jesus. We don't move past him. We don't move beyond him. We don't try to understand truths without him. The Christian life never moves past the truth the story of the gospel. And storms do come, don't get me wrong, don't they? And it's horrible when they come. Or the persecution comes, and maybe it's not a storm, but it's, it's some sort of persecution, trial, testing, hard time that comes on our life. And we see that with other examples in the Bible without the disciples here. Sure, we do. I mean, in fact, if you want to turn there, feel, feel free to. It's Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, we see this like, this like 
hall of faith, this like heroes of the faith, these epic dudes who've done incredible things for God. But the Bible has a way of, you know, not characterizing its characters and, and exploiting all of their flaws to us, does it not? So if you're, if you're there, it's Hebrews 11, verse 32, and it says this. And what more shall I say? After talking about all these epic people that we've seen, Abraham, Moses, Noah, Elijah, all those guys. For time would fail for me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. What did they do? Stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Like, where's the dotted line for Christianity where I can sign that? Yep, I want that. I want to put foreign armies to flight. I want my, my lion's mouth to be trapped shut. We're like stoked. Like, yeah, that's what I want. That's the faith that I signed up for. Dotted line, check, I'm in for sure. But without a single breath, it continues, the writer of Hebrews does and says this, some were tortured. What? Uh, erased out of line. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to sign up. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. This time they didn't escape the sword. They were killed with the sword. And they went about in skins of sheep. They were skinned because of their faith in Jesus or because they followed and proclaimed Yahweh is God. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. It's like, whoa. I'll put foreign armies to flight. I will shut the mouth of lions. I'll take this world for you, Jesus. But really the sword sawn in two? I mean, this is, this is, uh, uh, uh. this is not the Christianity that I thought what? You guys, some of us will shut the mouth of lions and some of us will get plowed over and some of us will be thrown into the fire. And I'm not saying that to discourage you, but it's so easy to see the victories of the first part of Hebrews 11 and their incredible faith. And then we look at what some of these men went through. We forget the journey through the valley of the shadow of death and the trials that these godly men have gone through. And if you want to see God do incredible things through your life, maybe that means getting jacked by the sword, getting thrown into the fire. And it's like, I, I don't want that. I don't want to sign up for that. I don't want to go through those. Sawn in two, being skinned. And of course now, here in America, we have the luxury of not dealing with persecution, though many other places of the world they do. But maybe this is even just relationally with your family completely abandoning you and checking you out. Like, forget it. I don't want anything to do with your Christianity. You, yeah, the Jesus you follow. That trend will die. Let's see how that works out for you. Or maybe it is persecution in your workplace or whatever. But it's easy to see the victories and forget the valleys that these men went through. And when you, when God does incredible things to your life, he will bring you through the valleys first. You see that consistency with every character who's been used by God and some mouths of lions boom shut armies take flight peace out other times we get plowed over thrown in the fire like think about Daniel right how about Daniel thrown into a lion's den problem mouth of lion shut boom but how about Moses right he's like the most esteemed leader we look at in the bible 
Moses, epic leader. Really? Yeah. He wandered for 40 years in the desert till his death, never entering the promised land that God had for him. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Those three young dudes who were taken captive from Jerusalem, put into captivity in Babylon. And you guys know King Nebuchadnezzar like builds this huge statue of himself. It's never a good day when there's a statue erected of yourself, okay? Like you're pretty self-indulged if there's a statue of yourself. It's just like the MySpace or the Instagram, like, all right, here I am. Zoolander, look, you know what I mean? It's like that times a thousand. I know you do it. I've seen it. And it's, it's like that times a thousand. It's like, all right, I'm just going to have this like huge golden bronze statue erected of myself. And in fact, everyone has to bow down and worship to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, well, we're not okay with that. We're not going to worship that. And it's, it's Daniel chapter 3. I'd actually like you guys to turn there, J- Daniel 3, where we're going to see this specific storm this trial that they go through and many of you know it but I think it's helpful for us to look at this in light of John 6 it's next to Ezekiel Daniel 3 we're going to start in verse 14 Nebuchadnezzar's talking here he's pretty ticked off because these guys are not bowing they're not worshiping this fake image of this profile of Nebuchadnezzar. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe, and there's kilts there too, no, probably not, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, and good. It's all good if you do that. But if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's it's getting heated in here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, king, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I bet it was. And they ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it usually was heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army, the buffest dudes, the strongest guys, these men of men of his army, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, and their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a pretty hot fire here. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered them and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Who was with them in this fire? Jesus. They didn't escape They didn't take armies to flight. The mouths of lions weren't shut this time, were they? They were thrown into the fire. You guys got to get this. They were thrown into the fire so that people would see Jesus in them. And they escaped, right? We were told later, they didn't even smell like smoke. Their eyebrows weren't even singed. And Nebuchadnezzar ends up praising the God that they believed in. Amazing story. But I want you guys to see this. They were thrown in bound. And then they were free 
walking in the fire with Jesus. When the storm comes, when the trials come, they are there to singe off the ropes that had previously entangled you. They were bound, and now they're walking in the fire, and they can see Jesus with them. And when you go, when you're tossed into the fiery furnace, when you go through that storm, many times it's so people will see Jesus in your life. I mean, if life was great, and it's like, oh yeah, I'll sign up for Christianity, I'll take foreign armies to flight, I'll shut the mouths of lions, booyah, let's do this, I'll sign up for that. Who wouldn't? But the same storm that came and knocked the house down that was built on that beachfront property in the sand also came to the house that was built on the solid foundation of the rock of Jesus. The storm came to both houses. And the storms come to you and to I. And I believe that this is a word for some of you right now because you have a tendency to edit out the dark valleys or try to avoid them altogether so that life would just be easy. So that life would just be, all right, like, let's do this thing. Like, I'll just grab some roses and daisies. We'll skip in the forest. We'll kiss, and it'll be great. And I'll suck my lollipop. And end of story, the end. Happy, the, happily ever after, right? That's what we hope for sometimes. And we edit this part out. We do it with even godly people. And we think, oh, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, dude, or Samson, strong buff guy. But remember, the valleys that God took them through to do incredible things. And maybe you're in a storm right now and you're wondering, man, well, how in the heck did I end up here? Now, storms can come for different reasons. Maybe you're, you were stupid. Maybe you were stupid, right? Sometimes we are stupid. It's like, well, I drank that, I drove that, and I smashed into that. Consequences, yeah, for sure. Other times, it's just things that happen because we follow Jesus. And Paul made this clear to us that when the storms come because of persecution or the fire trial hits and we're thrown into that furnace that is heated seven times hotter, he reminds us in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, he says, We are afflicted in every way, crushed but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not destroyed. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the bodily death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We're knocked down. We're crushed. We're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken by God. So that people can see Jesus in your life. That's what Eugene Peterson writing about this, this same section of verses. I love what he said. He wrote this. We've been surrounded and battered by many troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows all, to do, all what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God has not left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. What they did to Jesus, they will do to us. Trial, torture, mockery, murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. But he lives. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. And while we are going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. John, who penned this book that we're reading 2,000 years later was an elderly man. With the hands that wrote these verses, those hands would eventually, church history tells us, would be, he would be boiled alive in oil and would not die. Along with his, the rest of his frail elderly body, only to be banned on an island called Patmos, which is modern day Alcatraz where he'd be basically just suffering for many, many years. And that man who wrote this book, who was there writing about this tempest storm back in John 6, 
He's like, you know what? Who cares about the stinking storm? Who cares about the storm? John's, you can tell what John's trying to say. It doesn't matter about the storm. We're just stoked to have Jesus on the boat. As long as we've got Jesus on the boat, we are stoked. If the mouths of lions are shut or we're thrown into the fiery furnace, at least our God is with us. Amen? Seriously. What can this world do to us if we have God on our side? What can they do? Kill us? Oh yeah, really? They could kill us? Sure they could. But that just means we get to be with Jesus sooner. Come on, right? It's like, what can this world do against us? If the mouths of lions are shut or we get thrown into the fiery furnace, our God is with us. And that is all we need. When John wrote this, I bet you, when he wrote this, tears probably dripped from his eyes, writing verse 20, when he said, it is I, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the first thing that happens, I know from my own life, when I see, oh my gosh, that storm is gnarly. What do I do? I freak out. Just totally lose it. I fly off the hook. You know, let me just say this. If you can't see how the bills are going to get paid, if you don't know what your future holds, if you're dealing with a medical issue, if you're struggling in a relationship, your living situation isn't what you had hoped, things are not just going well, you're in a storm, someone you love is dying or they have a disease or you're struggling with something, listen, Jesus will walk on water to get to you. He walked in the midst of the storm to get to his disciples. He will walk to you and he will go through the fire with you. And when you face death, he will be there to give you life and eternal life. That is a promise we have in Jesus. And it's like, man, these trials aren't so big anymore when I realize how much bigger Jesus is than them. And often we don't realize Jesus is everything we need until Jesus is all that we have. And sometimes the storms have a way of crushing the boat we are floating on, of singeing off the ropes that have entangled us in the fire so that we can learn to freely walk in Jesus and that everything we have, everything we need, and everything we do is because of Jesus. I love what David wrote, a man who's gone through some, King David, who's been through some pretty crazy storms himself, right? Just murdering, you know, a gal's husband. Um, cheating on his current, you know, her, his current wife at the time and, and doing all this. What did he say? Psalm thirty four eighteen that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. When the job goes away, when the loved one dies, when you face depression, when you're in the midst of the gnarliest storm, know that Jesus is there with you. Do not be afraid. And I honestly believe that those who suffer the most are the greatest at worshiping. Those who suffer the most are the greatest at worshiping. And you can be like, we can argue about that all day along. I don't care. If I offend you, you're like, well, I don't suffer. Well, then do something for Jesus and you'll start to suffer, all right? Because when you begin to do things for Jesus, you'll, you'll notice the devil is going to start firing some opposition towards you. And when the storm hits, remember, ask Jesus to be in the boat, Okay? Don't try to weather the storm, paddle on your own. Ask Jesus to be in the boat. And when the fiery trial comes, know that he is there walking with you. He is with you in the darkest valley. In fact, he led you through that darkest valley because that is what our good shepherd does. And again, like we said, he does this all to display his glory and his goodness so that others will see the God who you claim worship. I remember when I was um, a while back, I shared some of my struggles last week um, of how God just miraculously provides with the fishes and loaves that he, that he has. And, and in that time, in that season of our life, when man, it's like, I don't know, like, are we going to be homeless next month? Probably. Like, if God doesn't show up, we'll be homeless. You remember that, babe. And it's just like, man, it, it, was, 
It was dark, and, and, and God continuously, miraculously provided. And we don't need to get into that now, but it was cool because I was working at Starbucks at the time, and, and um, one of my coworkers was asking another friend of mine who went to the church that I went to. Um, and in a candid conversation, he shared with me later that I had no clue. I mean, she was a staunch atheist, wanted nothing to do with God, didn't believe in him. It's like, well... How can, I, uh, how, how can I even think that that guy can make it? I mean, she's like putting two together. I mean, this is how many hours I work at Starbucks. That's how many hours he works at Starbucks. Like how, I mean, I know he's getting paid a little bit from the church, but like that he's working at, but like Josh, how is Travis and Julie, like how are they making it? Like God must be providing for them. Like we're, like my husband's making triple what he's making. I know he is, and we're having a hard time. And God's like, and this is an atheist saying that. And my friend's like, yeah, it, it must be God right? And, and she's like, I guess so. I guess so. Sometimes the mouths of lions are shut. Sometimes they're thrown into the fiery furnace. It's all so that people would see Jesus in your life, so that they would see that you were walking with him. And some of you have been lied to and told that life gets easier when you sign the dotted line, I'll follow Jesus. All right, here we go. It's gonna get easier. Let's do this, Jesus. Let's go. Does it get easier? His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but it doesn't get easier. In fact, often it gets more difficult, right? Look for the disciples. Did their life get easier when they decided to start following Jesus? No. I mean, did they have green lights all the way to work? No, they didn't, actually. Did the disciples, like, all of a sudden go to the bank one day and like, oh, look, randomly, my, you know, net worth tripled by a thousand and I am currently a millionaire because I decided to follow Jesus? Things are just going well, you know, like that, that doesn't happen. You know, life might not necessarily get easier with Jesus, but life does get better with Jesus. And if you love Jesus and you're a follower of him, be encouraged by this. This is as bad as it gets. This is the closest to hell you will ever see, okay? It only gets better. You have eternal life waiting for you with your last breath. And you will be in Jesus worshiping with billions of other Christians for all eternity. And this is as bad as it gets. Peter wrote this. Peter, actually, another man, church history tells us, crucified upside down because he didn't see it fit that he'd be killed in the same position that his Savior was killed in wrote this before he was crucified in 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice in as much. Hold on to that word. So that you may be What? overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We don't like the words rejoice and overjoyed mixed with trial and fire, do we? See, I believe that John is pushing us to the edge, showing us that it's more than just fishes and loaves and a storm, but it's all about worshiping Jesus. We worship Jesus in the storm. We worship Jesus outside of the storm. It's all about worshiping Jesus. And the storms are bad, no doubt. But Jesus is always, always, always bigger than the storm that you face, no matter what. He is. All right, verse 25. We'll continue to move on here. And when they found him, now who's they? Who are we talking about here? Remember the crazy mob? Like the catch me if you can people? People are like going crazy for goo-goo for Jesus, like the paparazzi going nuts after him. Yeah, those guys. They found him on the other side of the sea and said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. What does he say? Does he address their question? Nope. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Whoa. Jesus getting testy here, right? Take it easy, Jesus. Man, what's, what's going on here? 
See, for the, for the thousands that were mobbing Jesus, trying to get a show from him, now they hop on boats, these boats, and now they're in pursuit after him. And the rest of the chapter never talks about the storm again. All right, because we got Jesus, that's what matters. Whether it's, you know, hunger that takes you out, a storm that takes you out. As long as you got Jesus, you got everything you need. Now you transition to this, this whole bread from heaven thing, which we're going to talk about more next week. But Jesus here doesn't even address their question. Like, Jesus, how did you get here? There was one boat that left, and now you're here. And Jesus just completely derails them. And he's like, you're not even seeking a sign at this point. You just want your stomachs full. You just want your bellies full. Now, Jesus here will not put up with consumers. He is making that very clear. He is killing the consumer mentality. Now, I, I love shopping at Costco. I don't know about you guys. I mean, you can buy something from 30 years ago, and it's, you can return it without a receipt today, and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll take that back. It's like, you know, it's like rusted, broken, in two pieces, and you're like, yep, here you go, and they're like, all right, here, here's your cash. You know, it's like, Are you, what? Are you kidding me? And now, we love that. Now, I've been pretty disappointed recently because they uh, changed their electronics, you know, refund policy. Now, it's like 90 days, but that's still pretty generous. It's still pretty good. Now, Costco does that, of course, to appeal to the consumer mentality so that if you don't like it, you can return it. You can take it. Do you get your fill from it, sweet? If you don't want it, let's return it back. That's kind of what's going on here. They have this Costco wholesale consumer view of Jesus meeting all their needs, and if they don't like it, well, you know, we can just return it for something else. See, they weren't seeking Jesus, but they were just so consumed with signs. Now you're saying here, well, Jesus just said you're not consumed with the sign. Jesus is the sign, (laughs) okay? But they were consumed with the sub-signs of being filled. And Jesus is ticked here. He is completely ticked. I want you guys to get that. Like, there's no smiles, Jesus. There's no happy, meek, mild, sweet, humble Jesus. Though he is, he is ticked. Why? Why is he ticked? Let's just use this illustration of, you know, if you're, you're hungry and your friend decides to take you out to, to lunch or whatever, and you're stoked, you're like, yeah, actually, I'd love to go out to lunch with you. I mean, I'm super, I'm hungry. And now you're, you're excited, and you're thinking, all right, you know, they, they come pick you up, and you're, you're on your way to lunch, and you're already thinking, you know where you're going. It's like, and then you get there, and you sit down, and you're looking at the menu, it's like, well, I can't order the $20, right? Because, I mean, then I'm, you know, kind of milking them for everything they got. So I, don't, I can't order the $20 thing, but I can't order the $10 thing, because it's not going to fill me up. So I got to get something in between, enough to fill me up, but not, not enough to seem like I'm trying to milk something from them. So I'll just, like, work this thing out perfectly, so you guys sit down, you open up the menus, you're looking, you're starving, you're just, you can't wait, you're just hoping they bring some food to you, and, and, and they're just like, hey, you know, order anything you want. Just go ahead, order anything you want. You're like, sweet. So you order that thing perfectly in the middle. Now you're stuck at this point. They bring the food to you, and, and you order fish and chips. You're like, yeah, man, this is perfect. Fish and chips, and you got the seasoned garlic fries there with the ketchup on the side, and if you haven't eaten, I'm sure you're getting hungry at this point, because I know I'm getting hungry. And, uh, and, and then you have the, fi- the, the, you know, the fish on the side there. And I mean, then you guys pray for the food because it's the right thing to do. And, and, uh, and, then, and then, then you sit there and you're at the table. And like, you would just all of a sudden like, grab a French fry. I'm like, French fry? And your friend's like looking at you. I'm so thankful for you, French fry. You're just like meeting all my needs. I mean, look at you. You're delicate. You're so golden with a little bit of tan. I even see the potato edge on the side. You're just so wholesome goodness. French fry, I'm so thankful for you. You are so glorious in the way that God has created you. And I'm going to enjoy you forever for God's pleasure. Amen. Right? You wouldn't do that. You, looked, you should look to your friend and be like, hey, bro, thanks for the meal. Like, seriously. Thank you. Like, thanks for feeding me. Thanks for picking me up. Thank you for providing me the ride to get here. Thanks for spending money that you could have spent on yourself and using it to spend on me, all right? Jesus took 20,000 people out to lunch. 20,000 people out to lunch. And they're like, look at the French fry. Oh my gosh, this French fry is so glorious. Thank you for the French fry. I mean, This French fry is beautiful. They're not looking at the person who bought the meal. They're looking at the French fry. And 
they're like, well, this is the best thing ever. Like Jesus. And so now they're pursuing after Jesus, this mob, going after him. Now they're on the other side of the sea here. And they're like, hey, so, um, Jesus, you got any more french fries? Can you, can you hook us up, huh? Eye for an eye or whatever thing. We talked about that earlier, yeah? You want to do that? It's like, you say, like, I will have none of it. Are you kidding me? And if you were to ask these people, yeah, well, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, yeah, he's cool, but man, we love his miracles. I mean, it's just the bread and the fish thing. Oh, it's working out for us pretty good. They want a Jesus that meets their materialistic needs. That's what they want. They want to be blessed. They want their own needs to be met. And they saw the signs, but they didn't see the provider of the sign. It's like a snowbird coming down from Alaska or Canada, right? And they come and they look at you like, whoa, you guys are so tan. It's like, oh yeah, I've been working on this tan for a long time, actually. You like my tan? I mean, my skin just so bronzy and tanny and just amazing. And it's like, why would you do that? They could potentially have the same tan that you do if they lived under the same sun, but because they're in Canada and they see the sun like three days a year, I'm pretty sure, right? I mean, it just... It's like taking glory. It's like, oh, wow, man, actually, I am pretty tan. Thank you so much. And we're like, wow, I, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good right here with my tan. So like, actually, how about the fiery sun in the sky? What if we, maybe that thing had something to do with it, right? Maybe it's not all of a sudden your tan just was there. I mean, maybe the sun might have had something to do with it. They became obsessed with the signs and missed Jesus. They became obsessed with the miracle and missed their Messiah. Look at the tan. Look at the French fry. Look at the sun, bro. It's Jesus who brought you the bread. It's the sun that made your skin tan and warm, that gives those plants in your garden life, that makes, you, that makes us warm to enjoy And you guys, don't get caught up in this stuff or in the miracles, but get caught up with Christ. That's the purpose Jesus does miracles. And that's one thing that scares me when people focus on this like healing thing, bless me thing, and it's all about the the me thing. Because people will get healed and they'll get obsessed with the healing. And the angel that came down that did the work of the healing. And then what thing did this, one thing did that, and what prayer did this, and oh, I gotta do that again. I got no, it's Jesus who did the work. It's not us. That's why Psalm 34, 8 says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not that the fishes and loaves are good, but the Lord is good. Now, in closing here, how does Jesus continue this blunt, offensive talk with them? Verse 27, he says, Do not labor for food that perishes. Don't climb on a boat. Come all the way over here. And work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him and whom he has sent. They're like, how do we work for this bread? Jesus is like, you don't work for it. Well, you said work for it. Yeah, but you don't. Now they're probably confused at this point. Will they see who Jesus really is? Will they see him as the giver of salvation, as the one sent from God? And will they receive this gift of salvation that Jesus is offering now? Again, Remember, it's not about fishes and loaves or the storm. It's about belief and worship and faith and who Jesus is. And they're like, well, how, how can we work for this bread? What bread are you talking about, Jesus? Yeah, we want it. Just like the one with the well. Where do, where do you get this water that will never, ever, ever allow me to be thirsty again, that will quench my thirst forever? And Jesus is like, you do nothing for it. Don't do anything for it believe that's what you do you don't do anything you you just believe jesus is making it abundantly clear here you cannot work for your salvation you cannot work or try to earn favor from god don't do it isaiah tells us 
I'm going to say the censored version, that our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. A.K.A. dirty diaper to keep it PG. (laughs) And it goes beyond that, all right? That is our righteousness to him. We can't work for our salvation, but Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should what in them? Walk in them. We don't work for our salvation, but we walk in grace, all right? That's the gospel for you non-believer and for the believer. You don't work for your salvation, but you walk in the grace of God. You continuously, abundantly walk in his grace upon grace. Nothing you can do, nothing you can do can make God love you more. Good or bad, he loves you anyways. And Jesus here says, I mean, look with me in verse, uh, let's see where it is here. I think it's verse 26. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 27, which the Son of Man will give to you. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift that is received. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is not worked for. It is a gift that is received. If you guys, if you guys get this, and if I get this and we grow in this truth, it changes everything. Everything is changed from this point on. It's like, Because I am saved, now I get to be on mission for the gospel and invite people to church. Because I am am on mission for the glory of God, because he has already saved me, I get to do things for him. Because Jesus walked on water in the darkest storm, this is the closest to hell I will ever see. And because I get saved through the grace that God gives me, everything I do is out of a response for him. This changes everything. You guys, we don't work for our salvation. We work out of our salvation, all right? You gotta separate the two, Christian, because you oftentimes, and I oftentimes will go back to this legalistic bent of working for God's grace, and we can't do it. It's filthy rags to him. And because it's given to us, it cannot be taken away from us. Verse 27 Jesus says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Eternal life. So does that mean you can lose eternal life? No. Why? Because it's eternal in nature. You can't lose eternal life. You with me? It's not eternal. It feels to be eternal anymore. To back that up, Jesus says, Jesus says, for on him, God the Father has set his seal. We have been sealed by the blood of Jesus, to have eternal life. And listen, you have been sealed by the blood of Jesus and no sin that you do or no storm that you face can wash that away. Nothing can wash that away. And it's only for those who have faith in Jesus. And guys, God's grace, this fact is so true, I want you guys to get this. And most, you will, most pastors do not share this. Um, Because it's a little bit like, oh, can you really give people that much freedom? Yeah. If you, hearing this sermon and listening to the words of Jesus, as a Christian, walk away from this, and you do not apply any of these principles to your life, God will not love you any less. So why am I up here, right? No. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? You can walk away, and I would say it's a stupid thing to do, for sure. We've all done it before, too. We hear, and we forget the words, and we forget the reflection in our own mirror, Paul tells us. And we, of course, dumb down and dull the Holy Spirit. But you can walk away and not apply the principles that we have just talked about. And, and his love isn't going to change for you any more or any less. That is how freeing God's grace is to you and I. Now, the religious person inside of us is like, no, 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 we cannot give that much freedom away. If we are sealed and we have eternal life and we are Jesus's and, and, and salvation is a gift and Jesus made that abundantly clear, man, 
Grace is a gift. Listen, you didn't deserve it, so you can't undeserve it, all right? You didn't deserve it, so you can't undeserve his merited, unmerited favor for you. And you can't lose what you haven't earned in the first place. You with me? It's his that he's given to you. And when we come to grips with this, that we are dirty, rotten, scoundrel sinners who are in desperate need of Jesus as our Savior, and we turn to him, and that God loves us unconditionally anyways, it's not that we're going to be sinless anymore, and I'm not expecting you to be sinless, but as you grow in the grace of God, you will begin to sin less. You will. You will have less sin in your life as you walk in the grace that God has given you. So in closing here, as a Christian, I need to ask you this. Are you going through a storm right now that you are trying to row on your own? Are you in the middle of something right now and you're just like working it and you're going in circles and the boat's breaking Who knows how long the disciples were out there rowing, right? We think five minutes. It takes a while to paddle three to four miles, right? You're going to continue to row on your own or are you going to invite Jesus to be on your boat? And maybe you can even look back at some of the trials that you've, and storms that you've faced in your own life and, and you've been rowing on your own and you can see, wow, man, Jesus, I should ask Jesus to be there with me. Because listen, with the moment it is I is with you in the middle of that storm, the storm could stop or it could continue or you could be thrown into the fiery furnace. It doesn't matter. As long as Jesus is with you, that is enough. And I don't know where all you are at in your walks with God, but is Jesus even on board? <laughs> is he even on board? Do you even know him as your Lord and as your Savior? Have you been trying to earn your salvation by working and doing great things for him? Or have you just received the gift that he has given to you? Has he saved you from your mistakes? Has he saved you from your sin? If you don't know Jesus, hear me out. Those of you listening right now and here, because I don't know where all of you are at, or those who are listening to this podcast later or the teaching online, if you are listening to my voice, this, for the Christian, this is as worse as it gets. For the non-believer, this is as good as it gets. This is as close to heaven as you will ever get. If you ask me, this is a pretty bad deal. It's not, this is not heaven. I mean, sure, we live in a beautiful place, but it's, it's not heaven. It's not. And so respond to Jesus in faith. Put your faith in him. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to pull your life together. What does Jesus say you have to do? Does he say, clean up your life before you come to me? Maybe you should do some Hail Marys. Maybe you should throw away the boot. No, come to me now and then I'll take care of everything else, all right? That's what you do. Because all we are Christians is just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread all we are and let that motivate you that God's grace is there for you that nothing you do can cause his love for you to grow or shrink anymore he loves you with all the love that he has for you because of his son Jesus and you can do everything freely for his glory and because life is short and eternity of people's souls is at stake let that be a motivation that for those who do not know Jesus, this is as good as it gets. And this isn't good. Sure, life can be good. Sure, when we get barreled, it's great. When we get married, it's awesome. When we hang out with our friends, it's fun. But we know the storms can ruin it. And we need to be motivated to be on mission to reach people for the gospel so that people would have the Father's seal set upon them. You come to Jesus as you are. Let's pray. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. 
And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shortratechurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus and answer any questions. If you'd like to support the gospel going out through Shorebreak, you can click the Give button at shorebreakchurch.com. You can give a one-time gift, a recurring gift, or whatever God puts on your heart. Mahalo.